0: Been thinking for a while because of this project that we're doing where we make a you know what is this called podcast
1: welcome back to check Displeased, the podcast where we're rereading through the web comic check please and we're going to fall asleep in the middle of this episode either because the strip is really boring or because we're recovering from COVID. Try to guess who's which. Today, we're going to be talking about Jack's Dibs. It's not numbered. It's not part of the sequence. It's a little side comic where Jack gives his dibs away to, spoiler, he gives them the shouter. Uh, This is a companion comic to Shitty's Dibs, which we did several episodes ago, Feel free to go back and check into that if you are, I don't know, curious or you missed it or whatever. I'm Secret and today I am joined by...
0: Hi, I'm Tomato and today I'm drinking a Thai iced tea, which is the most exciting thing to have happened to me since there was a riot yesterday, you know? Yeah, I do know, I'm drinking water. Beverages, what a gift. At Faber,
1: following Samuel's loss in the frozen floor, Jack is taking shots on goal so Chatter can practice blocking. After they finish a bucket, Chatter begins to apologize for their recent loss, but Jack cuts him off and gives Chatter dibs on his room at the
0: house. Thank you. A beautiful description of this extremely complex text. The first thing I want to notice is Ding, ding, ding. It's time again for chowder infantilization watch. Welcome back to our recurring segment. And the thing about this strip is that, like, it's almost not a chowder infantilization watch. It's actually really close to not being one. And then right where it's about to stick the landing, it falls and falls flat on its face. Unlike Chowder, a very good goalie. As they're going back to start to get changed, they're coming off the ice. Jack says, like, I want to talk to you. And Chowder then begins to apologize and say, I know why you want to talk to me. I know why. I've been meaning to bring it up since the championship I'm sorry about our last game, your last game. I know you told me it wasn't my fault, but maybe one of those goals was me not bringing my A game. And you, of all people, shouldn't leave Samwell thinking it was your fault. And then Jack interrupts him and tells him how great he is. It's almost a meeting of two equals, right? Or a captain and, you know, someone who's not a captain, someone who is in need of mentorship and guidance, but it's still a kind of meeting of like two people who take on too much responsibility, one person who's been through it before kind of giving tools to a younger person who doesn't have it. That's not infantilization. That's just mentorship or guidance, right? It's like being a good captain. But then uh, Chowder starts to cry. (laughs) And he doesn't cry the way that we just saw Jack cry in the most recent strip where He's hiding. He's hunched over himself in a dark room. He turns, we see like one glimmering tear and then he sort of goes back to being very, very closed off. Instead, Chowder is really openly crying. He's in front of a pastel background. It seems unashamed in an interesting way that's very different from the way that we saw Jack cry. As Jack begins to compliment him, he says, Chowder, I mean, says thank you in the tiniest, most nervous letters possible before clearing his throat and then being able to say it at a more normal volume. So it makes Chowder seem really open emotionally, which is appealing. It is the thing that I think, you know, most people tend to like about Chowder, but it also makes him really, really young. The small text, the crying, especially when we pair it with things that we've seen of Chowder before seeking Jack's approval in a parental way, it kind of makes Chowder seem, again, younger than he is. This strip really draws out that Jack is in,
1: like, a position of power or a position of authority.
0: I haven't thought
1: as much about this strip as I have about other Chowder appearances, perhaps because this is such a diversion from like the main storyline, so to speak, if you can call anything that's happening and check, please, the main storyline. He's not merely constructed as like infantile. He's constructed as pure or like so without flaw and pure in intention that he comes across as infantile. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he just, like, bursts into tears immediately is weird. Versus Jack's going to, like, sequester himself to cry privately. Yes, it's weird that, like, Jack is having these emotions... So he has to go and separate himself from the rest of the team in order to like properly feel through what he's experiencing. It does stand in contrast to like Shouter's ability to just like emote in front of Jack.
0: He's a cinnamon roll of a character to borrow from fandom terms.
1: Should we define like what people mean when they say cinnamon roll? I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2014, there was a headline in The Onion, which is a satirical newspaper. I think probably most people listening have have more likely experienced it on the Internet or maybe even just as like a series of like screenshots of headlines. Uh, the onion is uh was founded in Madison, Wisconsin, and is and has been for the past like i don't know two or three decades based in Chicago, so my first encounter with it was as like you know, a print publication. And the main thing that was always funny about The Onion was their headlines. And they would write these articles, but like the articles really weren't as funny as like the headline. It was like, if you just read The Onion headlines, like flipping through the, the paper that you picked up, like at the bus stop or whatever, you kind of got the gist of it. So their iconic headline from 2014 was about a cinnamon roll that was quote-unquote too good for this world too pure and of course what makes this kind of like a funny joke is that it's absurd like a cinnamon roll is a baked good so personifying it as like too good for this world too pure is ridiculous at the same time if you've eaten a cinnamon roll you kind of know what this headline is talking about in this bizarre abstract way, because cinnamon rolls are like very, very simple and straightforward. Yeast bread that has been rolled up with like a mixture of butter and sugar and some cinnamon, and then usually it's iced with cream cheese buttercream. Stupidly straightforward. It comes across as just like the perfect combination of like refined all-purpose white flour and sugar and salt and dairy fat for whatever reason people in fandom when they started seeing screenshots of this headline from the onion website started like describing certain characters in fandom as cinnamon rolls too good for this world too pure and at first it was like ironic and detached kind of the way in which the headline was ironic and detached But then people kind of started taking it literally and just referring to things shorthand as like a cinnamon roll. And then there was a subsequent process of this term kind of like falling out of favor and like the concept sort of falling out of favor. Shouter is a really perfect example of a cinnamon roll archetype character because he has no flaws, no faults, and no ill intentions. He is too good for this world, too pure. He is literally a pure character with no negative attributes whatsoever. Effectively just like a refined white flour, yeasted and rich dough, with sugar and cream cheese icing. And uh, this is even more extreme than Biddy, who I believe is also a character people describe as a cinnamon roll, but like. Biddy has flaws and faults. However minor, however incidental, and however, like, really irrelevant to the actual test of Please, he he does fuck up, like, a couple times. And he does have, like, I don't know, less than ideal qualities. He's a procrastinator. He doesn't think things through. Whatever. He's a pleasure seeker. Chatter is only perfect.
0: And that's what we mean when we call him a cinnamon roll. Which is a problem in this particular case because it makes for a flat character, although that's obviously he's far from the only flat character or sort of unchanging character in Check, Please. But it's particularly a problem when we're thinking about and this is not something I'm an expert in. It's a real problem when we're thinking about like depictions of East Asian men in cinema, particularly, or in comics or in literature by removing ill intent, but kind of intent at all. Like Chowder doesn't have very many intents. We don't really know what he wants. We don't really know what he's trying to move through in the comic. Um, we only know that he is this sort of like perfect being in other ways you kind of remove agency from the character, you remove adulthood from the character, you remove complexity from the character, and you remove a certain kind of like humanness from the character. So, through perfection, through cinnamon rollizing a character, in other words, you, it can almost be dehumanizing. And this is paired with like other problems of depicting particularly East Asian men in Western media, which often like desexualizes those men does not take them seriously as adults does not take their intents and agency seriously as characters. So that's kind of where the problem of the cinnamon roll comes in. Part of a cinnamon roll character, he actually kind of willingly takes on the mantle of like insane hockey lone wolf guilt complex culture, which is what he's doing when he's trying to take fault for losing the game. He's trying to take the fault from Jack and take it on himself. When in fact, it doesn't belong to either of them. As we know, it's like, you know, it's all the boys out there. All the boys are like doing it together, right? So we know it's actually not either of them. We don't really say cinnamon roll too much anymore. And I think this is falling out of favor too, but I've seen like soft boy a lot more lately than I have cinnamon roll. So even though Chowder is what you might, you know, he might be a soft boy, even though he kind of embodies this like oppositional flavor, oppositional energy to hockey's toxic masculinity as the comic constructs it. He's actually still participating in it by trying to take on the mantle of guilt. So then I guess you could argue that like Jack is then himself undoing toxic masculinity by unpacking Chowder's fear and reminding him of his value, but He's not really doing that either because the very act of giving dibs and the very act of, like, acting captain-like in this particular instance is, like, continuing Sam Wollman's hockey culture specifically and hockey culture more generally. I'm also not sure. So I cannot tell who asked who to come out onto the ice. So I, I, I the first time I read it, I thought Jack asked because Chowder is the one who says, do you, you want to stop or should we go through one more bucket? And then Jack says, no, let's clean up.
1: I don't know. I think it's, like pretty much impossible to tell from, like, the context. I initially, or at least before you wrote that you thought it might have been Jack in our outline, I had always sort of just, like, naturalistically assumed that it was, in fact, Chowder because he's carrying this guilt around about their loss and maybe he wants to, like, improve or something. So... I had thought maybe like, you know, oh, he thinks he's responsible for the loss and ergo he needs to, like, practice harder. But in fact, it's like the end of the season, so... I don't know. Maybe it's being implied that this is something that they've been doing like the whole season or something. It's just like really hard to make that reading. And I guess it doesn't matter. I think the affect of Check, Please in general is being soft. I cannot think of a character in Check, Please who has not been described as soft, I was really intrigued by the fact that when you wrote soft boy on the outline, you spelled it B-O-I. I don't know that I've seen that phrase like soft boy spelled like that, but I'm curious why you used that spelling because it's like a particularly like queer encoded spelling of the word boy to imply something maybe not quite
0: a boy in the mainstream sense. I don't know why I necessarily used it for chowder. I think that's just how I've seen it spelled more often recently because I've seen a lot of people describing themselves as soft boys with an I. So I think I just took that. I didn't mean to necessarily imply that chowder's boyness is not like cis-coded or whatever, because I think that it certainly is. I do think that the way that people talk about softness and check please is a queer kind of softness in the way that Tumblr constructs queer pastel aesthetic, if that makes sense. I think Chowder is part of that aesthetic, even if he himself is not queer.
1: Oh, yeah. He 100% is. That term boy B-O-I is like very elastic. You can use it to describe basically anybody or anything other than a cishet, masculine performing, like actual young man.
0: I actually don't love softness as an aesthetic and don't respond to it that well. So the reason I'm interested in Check, Please is like the tension that I feel between characters alleged softness and what i don't see as soft but chowder is not one of those characters chowder does not have enough dimension in the way that he's portrayed for to kind of read non-softness into him unless you take on additional transformative work to put it there so he is definitely a soft character we've talked about this question before so i don't want to belabor the point too much but crying much like being gay or other kinds of like non-masculine behavior, quote unquote, if you know what I mean. Um, It's not actually oppositional to toxic masculinity like in philosophy in any kind of inherent way. It's just crying. So I think what we're supposed to take from this trip is that Chowder is like a soft boy undoing the, being vulnerable and undoing the problems of not allowing people to feel vulnerable and insecure with each other on the team or whatever. I think that's what we're supposed to get from this. And we're also, I think, supposed to take that Jack, like learned his lessons from his time in rehab and so on. And like now knows what to do in the face of other people's anxiety. He knows how to be a good captain and he knows how to not, nu- exactly what to say to keep someone from taking the whole responsibility of a team on their shoulders through, you know, platitudes, but whatever. Yeah, sure. I guess the question that this kind of asks is, does acting in an unexpected way in a male-dominated space or a very masculine space, again, please understand quotes around all these words, being an unexpected person in those spaces, whether because of behavior or because of action or because of, Uh, because of identity or because of presentation. Does just being someone who is like somehow different from the expectations of that space actually undo the harmful paradigms of those spaces? We've already talked about this and we were kind of like, no, it doesn't. So I don't think we need to belabor the point, but I think this is another example not attached to pity of showing a character behaving in a way that is like, quote unquote, not masculine and how that that act itself is supposed to be unpacking something, but it actually doesn't. Like actually what happens is that Jack like hits Chowder on the shoulder and says, get out there champ. And then like, they both stay in hockey. So, and and hockey is unchanged. So actually nothing changes as a result of this conversation other than the character's own relationship to like hockey culture. Being different in a heavily
1: codified or a heavily regimented space can be a first step or part of a formula for deconstructing that space. But without further sort of radicalized or liberationist work, merely being different in and of itself does not necessarily change anything. And I think that's kind of like the, the philosophical position that I and I, I presume both of us have have developed toward Check, Please, which is Biddy is atypical, or Jack is atypical, or Chowder is atypical, but are they effectively molding themselves to fit in with like the typical expectations of the sport? Or are they doing something to radically change the sport in like a liberation framework? And, and the fact is, nobody really is in this comic other than, you know, making it in theory safe for like white, upper middle class, conventionally attractive, gender norm upholding, heteronormative men being out within hockey. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not adding anything productive to this conversation. I disagree because you're agreeing with me, which I think is very productive. Thank you. Oh, well, yes, of, of course, of course. You noted in our outline that, in your opinion, this is sort of the most captain-like behavior we see Jack exhibit throughout the whole comic. And it's after the hockey season is over, and he's basically done at this point. I think it's really interesting that what Jack and Chatter are doing here is almost exactly what he and Biddy are doing during checking clinics, except that Jack and Chatter come across here far more believably as like teammates or equals or peers than Jack and Biddy ever do when they are on the ice together. They never in fact seem to me like a team. They seem like a hockey captain and a subordinate. What Jack and Shouter seem to be doing here seems somewhat more reciprocal. Even though it's clear that like Jack is the authority, Jack could not in fact be taking shots on goal without Shouter there blocking them. So, it's a sort of reciprocal framework that they're engaging in. Whereas Jack just slamming Biddy into the boards is not like a one to one sort of reciprocal exchange. It's like a one way relationship of Jack bearing down upon Biddy rather than both of them having like some sort of kinetic reaction to the other.
0: Yeah. And even in the way that their power differential is explored here, there's much more respect for the less powerful person than there seemed to be for Biddy at that time. Like, he doesn't do anything that Chowder doesn't expect. He doesn't take Chowder by surprise. He kind of, like, checks in with Chowder about when they're going to end. I mean, he makes the ultimate decision, but Chowder's like, do you want to keep going? You know, like, Chowder's clearly an agent in this in a way that Biddy never seems to be during check-in clinics. The only time we see him in check-in clinic, he's been like stolen out of his room at 5am to go to Faber or whatever. Jack just hits him, you know, out of nowhere. So it's distinctly different both in the framing of what they're doing and then even the way that the power differential is constructed. And presumably that's because the way the power differential is constructed between these two is not romantic at all. Like it's very fatherly and, and you could build that into a romantic, Trope, of course, but in this particular case, it, it doesn't really come across that way. Now, we talked about not really seeing Jack and Biddy's relationship as particularly romantic in the check in clinic either, but I think that follows a more traditional romantic trope. I guess that's the difference between them, but yeah, for me, it just seems like there's much more respect here for Chowder.
1: They're like practicing it's mutually beneficial. They have complementary skill sets on the ice. Jack takes shots and shatter block shots, and they both need to, like, continue to be competent at that, so it works for them to, like, practice together as a team. That's not what's happening with checking clinics for Jack and Biddy. It's like, Jack doesn't need to go to checking clinics. He's doing it, like, out of the goodness of his heart and or his frustration because Biddy needs help. Right. Then Jack says that Shouter has a good spirit Or that he brings a good spirit Ugh, I mean I'm sorry, I hate this This is the kind of shit that I hate with Jack plays It's like, what does that fucking mean? Here's the thing, I feel like the kind of person Who Jack Zimmerman is Would say some like Non-specific bullshit Like that, but it is just like What does that mean? What is a good spirit? What are its hallmarks? How is this a quality that Chowder specifically brings to the team, rather than, say, like, Nursey or Dex? How does Chowder bring that? Like, what have we seen him doing to demonstrate that he has a good spirit, other than just, like, existing? And I'm not saying this to be facetious, like, facetious or to be a bitch. Like, I genuinely am asking, like, where did Jack get the idea that Chowder has a
0: good spirit from? Have we seen it in the comic? Good spirit in this particular case means doesn't cause conflict. Is a cinnamon roll too good for this world, too pure? I really think that this is just like a canonical sort of nod to the type of character that Chatter is supposed to be. And because a lot of check pieces, as we sort of talked about since the beginning, A lot of Check, Please does its work through gesture towards already extant tropes rather than like building out a characterization. So we all know what type of character Chowder is supposed to be, and we get that from like his few appearances, and therefore we know he's supposed to have a good spirit, and therefore there's like really no evidence for it because we all just kind of know through the trope of what kind of character he is, what he's supposed to do. So I also think that Jack Zimmerman would just say some bullshit like this because like he talks in platitudes, that's how he talks. But I think that the, the comic is really relying on our familiarity with who Chowder is supposed to be. Can you imagine Jack and Biddy's sex life with
1: Biddy being hyperbolic and Jack speaking in platitudes? I can. And
0: it's weird, but good. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, Biddy just basically being like, oh, my God, that was the best thing that ever happened. I thought I died or like whatever. And Jack just being like, yeah, you really brought a good spirit.
0: You're a hard worker. you were really in the moment. I really you know? like to imagine using like the same language that you might that he might use, like, in a post-game interview or whatever. Like, yeah, you really brought your all there, Bits. Really both worked together there to get that cock cage, you know, whatever. Like, I just really um, like to imagine that. And Biddy's like, I think I did all the work with the cock cage. Thank you, mister. And then it just goes from there.
1: Yeah, I think what you're saying about chatter and just sort of like his good spirit of, you know, cinnamon roll like purity is probably very accurate. But then the point that I circle back to from there is just sort of like, well, then what's the point of this interaction? And here's the thing. Like it's a little you know, four page side comic that is essentially a bonus showing just like a fun little moment that's outside of Biddy's point of view. So it's not like, oh, this is the this is the greatest sin that the comic ever committed. However, it does sort of illustrate what begins to be like endemic problems that crush this comic in years three and four. Namely, we don't feel like the emotional weight of this moment because it hasn't been earned because no groundwork has been laid in order to sell the moment to us. So it's like Jack and Schauder have never really interacted before. It's like they've exchanged a few words. Schauder, for example, drunkenly marveled that they were being hazed together back at the beginning of year two. But it's not like throughout year two of Jack, Please, Jack and Schauder have had like a burgeoning relationship emerging where this is the culmination of that moment. And it's not like they have any kind of substantive or substantial friendship following from this moment either. It's just this weird interaction between these two characters that has no precursor and no follow through. So when I'm trying to like ask like, okay, well, what is Jack's reasoning? What is Shatter's good spirit? Where have we seen him doing something that earns this? It's not that I'm like, oh, well, you know, the whole plot of Check, Please is is full of holes because we never see Chowder demonstrating that he has a good spirit, it's that I think this is a larger problem with the comic. That it's unspecific and its crucial moments feel underdeveloped because no groundwork has been laid to support them.
0: I think this comic is doing something, but I think it's doing something for the audience, not the characters. This has No bearing on either of these characters' arcs, if Chad even has an arc, which I guess we can think about. It really has very little bearing on Jack's arc, except that it shows us that Jack is now worthy of Biddy because he has unlearned the problems that we saw in check-in clinic, the problems that we saw in year one, um, and even through the beginning of year two, the insecurity and the anxiety of jack's relationship to hockey and in fact if we hadn't just seen him fucking crying in a storage closet or whatever or a loading dock rather um i would think he was like quite well adjusted this strip in direct and strange opposition to the previous strip shows us something about jack that i think we have to believe about him even if we still think he's like an anxious you know like dark sad prince of pain hockey pain whatever we also have to believe that he's like well adjusted enough to deserve Biddy's like sunshine love you know because of how he is embodying the role of love interest and so i think that this strip works to show the audience that he can and does do that oh go ahead So that does mean something for Jack's arc as a character, but it's grounded in nothing. And that's the problem. And it's in direct opposition to what we just saw. And as far as Chowder goes, all that this does is sort of confirm that he is like a sweet cinnamon roll boy who like takes too much on himself. This like doesn't do anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I accept all of that. But it creates two problems as you suggest and i think we're going to circle back around to these these two problems at the end of this episode. Number 1, if this is indeed confirming something about Jack growing as a character and therefore winning Biddy's love, we need to see that in the main comic like that needs to be in the main text. And the fact that it's only happening in all these weird sort of like scattershot extras, which are alternately entirely superfluous, read if enjoying, otherwise don't sweat it. And also at other points, like in fact are part of the text of the comic, but it's unclear like how you're supposed to feel about them overall or at any given point. Like, it's a problem that we don't actually see this growth of Jack's in the comic. If this particular interaction were happening with Biddy, where we were getting a follow-up with a checking clinic, and we see Jack being generous and saying, no, it's not your fault. You know, you did the best you could, and, you know, the team wouldn't have gotten this far without you that would be a very different and much more meaningful interaction. I think the second problem is that it's Chowder who Jack is giving his dibs to. You could slot any character into this moment and it would not really change this moment. Would every character cry? Yeah, potentially. It seems like all these characters have the the propensity to emote if necessary. But like Jack and Shouter have no relationship. This particular comic is the full text of their relationship. Shitty gives his dibs to Lardo. And now we did a pretty thorough job critiquing why their relationship could have been more substantiated within the actual text of the comic. But regardless of those issues, both textually and metatextually, they are linked and related as like a character pairing. So at the very least, getting to see an intimate moment between them outside of Biddy's point of view, like does add something to a relationship that has pre-existed before that moment and will f- continue following that moment. Whereas that's not the case with Jack and Shouter. Like when people think about Check, Please, nobody thinks about their favorite pairing, Jack and Shouter. And I don't even mean like sexually. I mean like at all. The fact that Shouter ends up living in the house is entirely incidental. There is no plot, no beat and no scene driven by or even related to the fact that he has the room across from Biddy in the house. Again, with Lardo, it's not, like, that important, but there is at least one, like, little arc about her giving her dibs the following year. So at least the fact that she ends up living in the house comes back into the main text of the comic at some point. And I'm sure we'll, like, shit on the fact that it's super irrelevant and handled very dumbly. But at least it, like there's more to it. It's not just like, well, it ends there. Whereas Chowder just lives in the
0: house for the next two years, and it ends there. I completely forgot that Chowder lived in the house because it's so irrelevant. Just totally and completely forgot that Jack ever gave him dibs. At the very beginning
1: of of year three, in one of the earliest... comics we will see a scene that is set in Shouter's room it's just like it's not significant to like any anything really it's completely forgettable and until you mention that I had completely forgotten that that scene even took place within Shouter's room but for me this all sort of begs the question well who ought Jack to have given his dibs to and before I tell you what my answer is At this part, I think we start to face the fact that's going to really bear down hard on this comic for the next two years, which is that there are no evident plot lines developing for the incoming sophomore class. So, like, Dex has a little bit more of an arc than Chowder does overall, but he doesn't really have much of one, and it's thematically relevant, but it's not really key to, like, understanding the story. It's just sort of like a nice beat, so it's not really like you can say that Jack shouldn't have given his dibs to Chatter because it's not like there's another character who at this point isn't living in the house who it makes more sense for Jack to give his dibs to. And there's also no character in the comic at this point who can really suitably replace Jack. And also all of these antics like that are happening in the house are happening either on Biddy's Twitter or like outside the narrative anyway. What does it matter who lives in the house at all? Biddy has lived in the house this whole year of the comic. The only time that it really seemed relevant that Biddy lived in the house was during the parse arc where the fact that he had to go upstairs and lock his room seemed somehow crucial to him stumbling onto that make out slash discussion slash argument between Jack and Kent Parson. At the same time, it is by no means essential that Biddy lived in the house and had to lock his door. It's like he could have gone upstairs for any reason he could have been like ugh i don't want to use this bathroom downstairs somebody's puking in it and like you know just gone upstairs i guess it really doesn't matter like who lives in the house
0: it mattered a little bit in year 1 mostly in extras because that space and camaraderie between the people living there and the group of people living there was like the foundation of the group shenanigans, right? Which was like the heart of that year. But by now, we've we've left that behind. There are not going to be many more group shenanigans in the future. And we've mostly switched into a different genre with a different set of goals. If it ever did matter, it doesn't matter for that reason anymore. And I do think it matters in year three, because at least for the first half of year three, Biddy you know, lives in this house and is trying to keep certain things secret. And I think that that is a little bit of tension, but I guess he would have been doing that even if he hadn't lived in the house. It just makes it slightly more difficult. So I don't know. Jack should have given his dibs to Biddy. That's what I think would have
1: solved a lot of problems. I think it didn't actually matter or it wasn't actually crucial that Biddy was living in the house For year two, I understand that like in the background of the Twitter feed and whatever, the fact that Biddy was like doing shit and then Jack is yelling from across the room, like go to sleep or whatever, is supposed to imply that they're getting closer But none of that is actually taking place in the comic. And more to the point, those are all, like, replaceable interactions. Like, they can still have their big scene in the kitchen, in the house toward the end of year two, semester one, if Biddy doesn't actually live there. Like he can just go back to his dorm room and say, never fall for a straight boy. So I don't think it really matters that Biddy is physically in the house up to that point. This would have been a grand unifying gesture on Jack's part, up to and including this on the ice moment between him and Chowder making a lot more sense if it's him and biddy because it's twisting or transforming the way we've seen them on the ice in the past where first they were antagonistic rivals and biddy was collapsing then jack was subjecting him to like you know early morning horrors during checking practice then at the end of year 1 biddy ends up with a concussion then during this whole year two, he's, you know, struggling to like get back on the Jack's line and trying to come into his own as a hockey player. This could have been like a really meaningful capper if their final on ice teammate interaction was them having a final checking practice, Biddy is like, listen, I know you really wanted to win that game. And I know it wasn't all on me, but I just want you to know that whatever I didn't do that could have led to us winning the Frozen Four, I'm sorry. And then Jack is like, it's not your fault. You're as good a hockey player as anybody else on this team. It's a team. It's not about any one person. And then Jack is like, and I want you to have my dibs. (laughs) Like that would be an arc that naturally leads into them fucking. It would parallel the Lardo and shitty thing where they also end up fucking.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you would still get the tension. I'm, re- I'm realizing now when I was talking about the beginning of year three, I had gotten ahead of myself, but then it, it would still allow for that tension in year three where Biddy's presence in the house, like, kind of does matter a little bit.
1: Doesn't matter who lives in the house, like, kind of yes, kind of no. But here's the thing, like, you know, the fact that Johnson gives Biddy his dibs at the end of year one and it's like a meta joke about how he's like, you're going to need to live here, bye. It's like a heh sort of moment that doesn't actually change the narrative at all
0: it should have been part of the main storyline if you're not familiar with fandom remixes it's when you rewrite A fic that you are into and want to sort of re-examine, you rewrite some themes from the fic or some actions from the fic or something about the fic into a new fic. And I've been thinking about, like, what would a remixed check, please, look like? Like, if you only took the source text, meaning the actual comic panels, and you rearranged them or you kind of reworked them, maybe rewrote some things, what could you come up with without, like, just totally writing a fanfic without any basis in source text or without using anything. And this is making me think about that even more because I've been thinking about it for a while and now I'm like, Ooh, you could do some stuff with this. Yeah. Actually, if you were really willing to
1: like either redraw like via tracing or invest in some like really heavy duty, like cut and paste lasso tool type Photoshopping, you could remix this comic into like a really good comic. I've been thinking about it. So we should, anyway. A couple of years ago, I was talking to Naheingen, and I don't remember who did our like cover artwork, by the way. Don't remember like what it was that got me here. But I basically convinced her to like edit Biddy out of a bunch of Sheck strips, trips. <laughs> including... <laughs> the last game one you know with like that we did last time where jack is crying at the end of the strip and just like that whole strip but like biddy is not in it for some reason it reads like in one sense very different but in another sense exactly the same Garfield minus Garfield level like oh huh <laughs> like something about this comic is really revealed through like the absence of the central fucking character <laughs> I think you could
0: come up with like a really interesting comic based primarily on what's already in the source text.
1: First of all, remixing is essentially just like writing a fanfic of a fanfic. And yeah, that used to be like a, a big thing in fandom. There'd be like fan works events that were basically just like remix other people's fanfics. That would be a fun thing to do for check please. There was no reason Biddy needed to be living in the house for all of year two. Jack should have given Biddy his dibs. And that would have been a really effective capper that would set up their getting together at the end of this year and sort of, like, conclude a number of storylines from year one and the beginning of year two that at this point have effectively evaporated. The fact that Chowder is the person that Jack is talking to is largely relevant. It's like, yes, you know, we all love Chatter and his braces, his adult braces and and his weird swoopy California hair. But like the fact that it's him who's getting the dibs is just kind of like, well, you know, he's next in line. Okay, he's sad that they lost. Now he lives in the house. But if it was Biddy moving into the house, That would be like in line with the sea change or the major sort of like shift that happens between year two
0: and year three. It would be. And because Biddy is becoming, if he is not already the heart of the team in the way that Jack was sort of the heart of the team, right? So it's like these people are very, very different, but they are both able to command a certain kind of team camaraderie or something. Um, And it would kind of parallel them in a way that they're like and put them on equal terms in a certain way in a way that they're just not put on equal terms like throughout the structure of the comic
1: symbolically it would just basically be like jack saying you know i'm moving on and because of our particular bond and the kind of time we've spent together it's obvious that you are going to step into my position on this team And so I am ceding that ground to you. And it also, in terms of Jack, would be like following through on his acknowledging that Biddy does have a place on the hockey team. Maybe he wasn't the best player when he got there, but he had something and he's really earned his place
0: It would be tying a bunch of, as you mentioned, it would be resolving a bunch of different storylines, but importantly also that it was just a lucky shot storyline. This would showcase that Jack has learned of Biddy's value and it's not just luck. Well, you could have Jack say
1: something like, one of our first games, I remember I, I said this to you and that was really deep of me. And I hope as I move on, you know, you'll have positive memories of of me and, you know, not think about that. And Biddy would say something like, oh, I've already forgotten it. And Jack would say something like, well, I'm sorry, or whatever. If I spent more than two seconds thinking about it, I could probably think of better dialogue for it. But you would really use this one moment, this one gesture, this one strip set on the ice at Faber to sew a lot more things together especially since they're going to end up fucking getting engaged yes. on yeah. this ice. So if Jack is effectively like making a certain kind of proposal to Biddy in this particular setting,
0: it ground yeah. that a little more as well. It would be great if we, I don't know who the we is in this case, if there was a fest where everyone took a page of check, please erased all the dialogue and rewrote it like a check, please remix fest not just for other check please fanfic but for the comic itself i think that would be great
1: oh my god would it be would it be better to do like a really serious thing where you just like write better dialogue or if you did like completely insane
0: I think there's room for both. Okay, that's that's why it would be a fest. Everybody can bring their own, you know, cock cages to the ballroom floor. I don't know what I'm saying. Um,
1: I don't think but... that even has to be a fest or like as intentional as a fest where it's like everybody has six weeks to apply. I think that could just be like a meme that you post on Tumblr where you're like, rewrite the dialogue for one page of check, please.
0: Maybe I will, okay, okay. Basically be like podcast. dinosaur or or it could be like a community
1: where it's like you put up a different page every week. And it's basically like dinosaur comics, but like check, please, where it's like, you know, oh, saying God. like, there's no ethical conception of your capitalism. And Jack is saying like, well, but capitalism has led to so many failed states or like, whatever. Like, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> you're just pretty something completely
0: like absurd in the character's mouths. We'll think about it. We'll workshop it. I'm on board. What do you think Biddy and Jack would say if they weren't forced into romance tropes by the hand of God? Like, what crazy shit could come out of their mouths? Listen,
1: I have to tell you something, and this is true. I really think that if Jack and Biddy weren't forced into crazy romance tropes by the hand of God, they would not speak to each other and they would be like passing ships in the night. I love that. That's so
0: good. Jack is an aircraft carrier. <laughs> I will say about Check Please is that, yes, we are critiquing it, of course. And yes, I think the comic does not actually achieve its goals that well. And that's like why there's room to critique it among, you know, one of the reasons there's room to critique it. However, what it does achieve is complete insanity. And I'm very excited to continue kind of going into this bizarre romance because on a writing level, I think there's plenty to critique, but on a fandom level, I'm like, oh, these crazy people are so bad for each other. Let's get into it. Obsessed with the narrative that I don't think is supposed to be there, but is there. That's why I'm really glad actually that Jack gave his dibs to Chowder and that nothing makes sense and that nothing's resolved ever because it leads to this sort of like bizarre web of passive aggressive uh, tensions, which just never, ever, ever get resolved and presumably which which resentment just builds silently up over years. So I'm pretty into that.
1: All right. Well, next time we are looking at a strip 215 that is called A. You can find me at Camilliar, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, or S-K-R-T-O-M-G on Tumblr, or I'm Familiar on AO3, and that's where I'll host any remixes that I happen to compose.
0: And I'm Tomato. And you can find me at tomato or on AO3 at tomato underscore greens. And you can find our podcast on checkdisplease.tumbler.com on Podbean or on Spotify. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah, you can
1: you can see us back here next time when we talk about comic number two fifteen. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God.
0: Bye. All right.
1: Bye.
0: Oh, shit. You know what I'm not doing hours of it for? Is talking to my girlfriend on the phone. So you know what I can do? Watch as much Simpsons as I want. Check Displeased is written, recorded, and produced by Secret and Tomato. Our
1: theme music is by Tomato and our art is by Nahingen.